Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. I'm here. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. You're not really here. I mean, you're... Yeah, he's in some sort of wine cellar uh, down in the depths. I am on vacation. (laughs) Um, And fortunately, we are honored to be joined by Dane Brugler again on the pod. Um, He was a Browns fan growing up, loves the Browns, and has a lot of information to bestow upon us. So we're really glad to have him on. Thanks for coming on, Dane. Of course. I always always look forward to when I can join you guys. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Thanks for saying that. That's awesome. Um, So, Dane, you grew up a Browns fan, right? Yeah, that's right. I uh, grew up in Warren, Ohio. I was born in Akron, and then uh, when I was three months old, moved to to Warren, Ohio, where I grew up and uh, moved to Texas after I graduated from Mount Union, but, you know, all my family, my wife's family, all in Northeast Ohio. And uh, so definitely still have a lot of roots back in uh, Cleveland, the Cleveland area, and especially the sports teams. So my, uh, I'd, I'd be lying if I said my, 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 my two-year-old and three-year-old didn't have a few Browns gear in their closet. Love it. That's what got me. That's what yeah. hooked me. So, so, Dane, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Normally, we'd record on a Monday. And I, I have to say thank you for, for, not, for pushing this off to a Wednesday because we got to watch an incredible Monday night game. Although there is a part of me that questions if you pushed it off specifically to watch the Monday night game or if you did have a sick child at home. Because if so, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad it did work out that way. And so I appreciate your work. Working around uh, my schedule, but yeah, no, it worked out for the best. I'd say. Uh, I guess the only the only thing that didn't work out is uh, tonight's what the national go bump into your old high school friends at the bar night. Uh, <laughs> so yes. I, I guess I'm taking I'm taking you away from that. I guess, but <laughs> I just I just cracked open a beer here, and so I'm 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 doing it uh, from my house. So perfect. Well, we've got a beer in hand as well, um, so we're we're looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking about the Browns and talking about the draft from an optimistic point of view, and <laughs> not talking about the first pick overall. Hopefully, so so yes. we'll we'll jump into it. Um, so, Dan, being a Browns fan, I'm sure you follow the NFL super closely. You follow college probably more because you're trying to prep for your amazing draft guide. Um, but what have you thought about the Browns season so far? Obviously, not gone as we would have hoped, but what what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I, I guess, I mean, you said not as you hoped, but when with Hugh Jackson as the head coach coming in, I think it was everyone just kind of waiting. Uh, you know, it was just a matter of time before he was going to get fired. Uh, he was a dead man walking uh, since they decided to bring him back. And, you know, I, if it, they had to take a couple losses to get Hugh out of town, you know what? That's okay. It's uh, for the greater good. It's uh, for the long-term plan. Um, you know, some of those losses, as excruciatingly painful as they were, um, you know, Oakland and the opener against Pittsburgh, oh. as, as tough as those were, uh, you know, in the long run, it'll be okay because it got Hugh out. And now I'm eager to see who – who John looks at moving forward, uh, John Dorsey is uh, going to be because it's really. I mean, you, you look at this this organization. Uh, let's just we'll take the owner out of the equation right now. But <laughs> Please. they've Please. got got the, got the general manager. You got the quarterback. You're just missing the head coach. And once you fill that head coach position, hopefully with a 
uh, a, a guy that's going to be better suited for the job than the previous six or seven head coaches they've hired. Uh, you know, they're going to be Browns are going to be in good shape, and I'm I'm really eager to see this team the rest of the way, um, just to see how they perform. Um, you know, with kind of the the circus out of town. Speaking about Hugh and Haley, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, how could you not be encouraged by what you saw? Uh, you know, they were on the bye this past week, but the week before uh, in the win over Atlanta. I mean, how could you not be encouraged by uh, the way they played, uh, the way they uh, the coaches responded? Uh, even though they're, it's an interim thing for them, but you know they're auditioning for maybe to stick around. The players are all uh, it seemed like they played a little bit harder with uh, after the changes at head coach. So I think that there are plenty of reasons to be optimistic as a Browns fan. Yeah, Dane, absolutely. So, so you talked about having the GM and the quarterback, and then missing the head coach. Of that trio, is there? Mm. How do you rank the importance of that trio? Um, which is the most important? Which is the least important? Or do you think they're all equally important? And you need three that kind of are competent and work together. No, it's a great question. I, I think uh, more so is you just you can't have a weak link at one of the three. You know, I think you can you can get by with three that maybe. Like none of them are exceptional, but they're all above average. You know, I think you, you can you can win with that. Um, but if you it's have like Cincinnati, weak, well, yeah, if you have a weak link at one of them, yeah, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, and so, you know, I think that in my opinion, I, I'm biased with you know my connection to John Dorsey, but I think he's a tremendous evaluator. He's been a GM in this league for a long time. Uh, I mean, this is what he does, and I think you know, his what he showed with this first draft class should give Browns fans a lot of optimism about what the job that he can do um, and the staff that he's assembled around him um, and the staff he's going to continue to assemble around him because he's not done making moves in the front office. Uh, and, and then a quarterback uh, with Baker, you know, at screaming from the rooftops that he should, <laughs> it should have been a competition. Uh, I, I, I never, it never made any sense why, I, I was I was okay with Tyrod Taylor starting the opener and I mean, that's fine, but why it wasn't a competition? It just blows my mind. Competition is good for everybody. It pushes everybody. It makes people better. Cream rises to the to the top. And so for Baker Mayfield not even get a shot, it's just I know they wanted to give you know Tyrod Taylor, who you know obviously his first year with the team, uh, as many first team reps as possible, blah blah blah, whatever. But did not give Baker any. Uh, semblance of a shot at and, and that's one of the many reasons why Hugh Jackson is no longer the head coach but um you know it's uh, it, it's something that I, I don't want to I don't want to talk about Hugh that much kind of like when you you yeah. break up with a with a girlfriend and, <laughs> you, and you just keep, <laughs> you keep talking about her you and, keep yeah, running but, back yeah right exactly <laughs> we don't want we don't want to do that so we'll, we'll try to keep the Hugh Jackson talk to a minimum here but uh <laughs> You know, it's. Uh, uh, I think that back to your original question about the importance of the three, the, the quarterback, the head coach, the general manager, and the importance of uh, if you're going to rank them, I, it's really tough because I think, like I said, you, you really can't have a weak link there. Uh, quarterback, arguably the most impactful uh, because of what they do on the field. I think they can overcome, uh, you know, some questionable head coaching decisions. They can overcome some questionable GM decisions, but they can't, most quarterbacks aren't going to be able to overcome inept head coaching or inept general manager uh, because uh, general manager can put the talent around them. The head coach is the one formulating the game plan and in charge of the locker room. And they're just, 
uh, too much to overcome there. So it's it's one of those deals where they're they might be equally important, um, but you just you can't have a weak link among those three. Yeah. All right. So Dane, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. No, no, I was just about to say. So this is the first time that we've actually have an opportunity in the Browns organization to have strong people at all three positions. Complete the Triforce. Complete the Triforce. We're gonna get. <laughs> We're going to get it. Um, so what do you think? I mean, Greg Williams is what Greg Williams is um, for yeah. the next six games. And um, we have Dorsey, who's gotten a lot of talent around uh, Baker. And what, what do you see happening in the next six games? Um, what is your prediction for the Browns through these games? Because uh, you, you could go to each one of them, at least I can convince myself, that we have a chance <laughs> to win every single one of them. Whether that's going to happen or not, it's not. But... For the listeners, let's go through the games. I mean, we it's we play the Bengals, the yep. Texans, the Panthers, the Broncos, the Bengals again, and then we finished with the Ravens. Only two of those games are at home, which is the Panthers and then the second Bengals game. Right. And so you figure, uh, I mean, just conservatively speaking, let's say they split with the Bengals. So, um you know, win one, lose one. Uh, they should beat the Broncos uh, with the way they're reeling. Uh, so it leaves the Texans, Panthers, and Ravens. Uh, I, three uh, teams that are still in the mix for the playoffs. So I think that that's going to be tough. And, you know, let's just say, conservatively speaking, they go one and two in those games. So that's what, if with the final seven games, they go, what, three and four? I, I think that's reasonable or realistic at least yeah it's six games so three and three and then we finish the season yes yeah six nine and one so that's not not the worst down the down the stretch well you figure it's a well six more wins than you had last year so that's a (laughs) yeah greg williams would have more wins at that point than hugh jackson did during his head coaching tenure infinitely no no doubt about it infinitely more wins Great news. Well, and that's how many more, how many teams uh, can say they had six more wins in the previous year? You know, I mean, it's, I know it's uh, a low bar with uh, the 0 16 uh, burger from last year, but, uh, you know, hey, six wins, that's nothing to scoff at. Uh, when's the last time this team didn't have double digit losses? You know, uh, so another reason to be encouraged if they're able to pull that off. All right, Dane. So you made the offhanded comment about your history with John Dorsey. I have a two-part question for you. Okay. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit more about that, just just a story or what you know and what you can tell us um, about John Dorsey that we wouldn't know just being general fans of the Browns. And then knowing what you know about John Dorsey, what do you see – going forward in this head coaching search and what should we look for, for him to be leaning towards as far as the head coach and probably the offensive coordinator too, would be interesting um, to hear your thoughts. Well, John and I go back a while. Um, I I first met John when he was a director of scouting with the Packers. Um, And this was my, uh, I had just graduated from Mount union. Um, I was, my gosh, I was 21 years old at the time, and um, you know I put together my draft guide, sent it to John, uh, you know just out of the blue, and had no idea if it would lead to anything. And next thing I know, John calls me and says, "I'm going to fly you to Green Bay, and you know we're gonna we're gonna talk." And so he flies me to Green Bay, and this was 
2008. Um, and it was really interesting because, I mean, here I am, I'm 21 years old, um, way out of my league uh, at this point, and uh, I'm meeting with uh, the Packers. And this is, at this point, uh, Reggie McKenzie was still there. Uh, Brian Schneider was still there. Um, uh, who else was still there? I mean, just all these guys that are now general managers in the league. Um, so it's really, really good experience. And um, I had a great kind of interview slash meeting with them went really well. And um, it's one of those things where I was out of my league. I knew I was out of my league, but John, <laughs> I, we, we hit it off from day one. And he, he's been a guy that I've really relied on and um, just, you know, learning in this business because in, in scouting in, um, in the NFL and all that, it's so much is experience based. Um, you know, the greatest trait that a scout can have is, to be a self-scout and self-evaluate, uh, understand what you know, what you don't know, and, you know, learn from your mistakes. And so experience is just invaluable to understand, okay, I missed on this guy. Well, why'd I miss? And, um, you know, having a guy like John, who to me has been, you know, almost like a mentor, um, learning from him over the years has been invaluable. I, when he took over the, the chiefs, um, uh, 2013, I believe, uh, he took over the chiefs and, um, and then in 2015, and I got back with them inquiring about a job. And, um, you know, at that point, I thought I was ready to possibly go into a front office. And so, uh, go to Kansas City, and I, um, started to, I went to the interview process and all that and offered me a job. And then, uh, but the way things worked out was he needed me for training camp and my firstborn. Uh, Keegan, who's now three years old, he was due uh, July 29th. And the position they were hiring me for was um, it was like a glorified internship. It was like, uh, um, I can't remember the word <laughs> they used to describe it. But anyway, it, it didn't, like, the pay wasn't bad, but it didn't have benefits. And so with my wife ready to give birth, um, you know, we, yeah. I, I couldn't leave, I, I couldn't leave her in Texas by herself because we're, we're alone down here. We don't have any family down here. They're all in Ohio. And so I couldn't do that. Um, and I couldn't bring her with me because then she would have to quit her teaching job and then she would lose her benefits and, you know, giving birth to a child, that's not really plausible. And so all those, things no, it's not, up. I can speak yeah. from experience. It's not possible. Exactly. So all those things wrapped up, I, I turned down the job and, you know, it was one of those things that timing just didn't work out. And I, you know, it kind of, I think worked out for me, um, just fine because, uh, you know, what a year, two years later, you know, John was let go in Kansas City, and so who knows, you know, where I'd be at that point if that's uh, what would happen. So, um, you know, I don't. Uh, John has been a guy that, uh, like I said, I've relied on over the years. He's a good, uh, you're one of my good buddies in this business, and uh, I, uh, you said like a funny story or something that I don't know. Um, well, how about um, like a, a month or two ago? Um, yeah. It was like a. It was probably like September, maybe uh, Saturday night, I believe. I got a text. And I look, and it's, I see John's number uh, or his name, and so I open. And I was thinking, this is like a Saturday night. I'm saying, okay, this is gonna be some good stuff. So I open it, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's a picture from an Indians game of some kid that I used to go to college with, and I'm thinking, what? What is this? And then it just said, <laughs> it, it just said he says hi, and apparently this. 
uh, a, a guy that was in my fraternity who I went to college with way back in the day through the through the grapevine. Like, I haven't talked to his name's Nick. I haven't talked to Nick in you know ten years probably. It's been it's been a long time. Um, through the grapevine, knew that I, I knew John pretty well, and so he approached John at the Indians game. He's probably drunk off his ass. And, um, <laughs> he he brought my name up, and so John whips his phone out, takes a picture of him, and sends it to me. And I just, I mean, that, that that's the kind of the guy John is. I mean, he's he's got a very dry sense of humor. He's he's not the loudest voice in the room, but when he talks, you stop, you sit up in your seat, and you listen because he just kind of has that type of uh, uh, authority to him when he when he when he speaks on things. And so he's he's a good guy, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm eager to see. Uh, how he handles this head coaching uh, 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 search because he's never hired a head coach before as a general no. manager. Uh, Andy Reid was hired like a week before he was hired in, in KC. So, um, you know, it's something that every general manager or every, even guys, you know, directors of scouting and uh, guys that think they can be a GM one day, they have a list that they, uh, you know, because they've been around the NFL. They've, uh, you know, seen a lot of guys. they talked to a lot of guys. They've compiled a list of guys that really stood out to them, guys they want to interview. And I'm really eager to see who gets those interviews with John because he's been, like I said, he's been around for a long time and he's uh, met a lot of people. And, you know, people want to make the Mike McCarthy uh, connection. Uh, if he's, like, going to Green Bay. Uh, I mean, who knows? I mean, he, him and Mike might not have a great relationship or he might not have great respect for Mike when they were in green Bay, you know, who knows? It's, it's one of those things where we're all just all kind of guessing on the outside, looking in and trying to you know, piece together what makes sense, what doesn't. And so I, I, I honestly have no inside information in terms of what he's going to do, but I am uh, fascinated to see, um, you know, how he handles the search and, you know, how he, how he goes about it, because I think it's, uh, he, he's going to be ready for it. No question. Okay, so if you don't have any inside information, which that's fine, um, I wouldn't necessarily expect anyone to. I think me, John Dorsey neither, keeps things Dan. pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I think he keeps things pretty close to the vest, anyways. Um, let's just say you're in John Dorsey's shoes, right? Mm-hmm. What would who would be on your short list for your staff? Head coach, defensive coordinator, offensive. I want the the trifecta of who you would want coaching the Browns next year. Well, I think my first phone call would be to uh, Sean Payton and just kind of beg and say, "Hey, anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, Drew, Drew Brees, he got his, he's going to get his MVP this year. Maybe he gets a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, you've done all you can do in New Orleans. He's about to retire. Uh, you know, why don't you come up to Cleveland and you know, just you gotta, you gotta at least put kind of those, you know, shoot for the stars. It's kind of like when you're you're starting to date, you know, and you, you know, you don't settle. I mean, shoot, take your shot. You know, go." <laughs> Go for the, yeah, the chick you think's out of your league, you know? Yeah, why, why not? What's the worst that they could say? No? Okay, fine. You know, you, you'll hurt feelings for five minutes, then you'll get over it and move on. Well, same thing with Sean Payton, Sean McVay, and the rest of these guys that, uh, you know, go for the best. Why not? And if they say no, okay, that's fine. You you move on. And so, uh, first and foremost, that's what, that's what I would do. Uh, but uh, maybe more realistic, um, you know, the one that really intrigues me is Bruce Arians. Um, and... I, I, maybe it's because I just got done reading his book, and so he's <laughs> friend of know, mine. He's just really, yeah, yeah he's fresh. He's fresh in my mind right now. Uh, you know, no risk it, no biscuit. Uh, and so it's uh, he's he's the type of guy that you'd love as a head coach. Uh, here, it's it is funny because when he was offensive coordinator in Cleveland, everybody wanted him out of town, uh, and then he 
you know, finally gets his chance to be a head coach and, uh, you know, kind of takes off with what he did in Indy as the interim and then goes to Arizona. Um, I, I think he's an older guy. I think he's uh, 65, Six, I believe. 66. We looked it up uh, like a couple okay. weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, and the reason, you know, one of the reasons he retired from the uh, Cardinals is just because of, uh, you know, health reasons. And so, you know, I think that's that's something that you worry about. Uh, but, you know, I think Bruce Arians would be a, a, a great head coach to kind of steer the ship in the right direction, at least get you going that way. Um, and then if I had my choice of defensive coordinator, I, I, if, if say Bruce, I bring in Bruce Arians, my head coach, I'm going to call Matt Campbell up at Iowa State and say, come be my defensive coordinator. And then in two years, you're going to take over as a head coach. Uh, I think that'd be a good ah. situation. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if Matt and I, I, I knew Matt from because Matt was at Mount Union with me for a couple of years. And so oh, I knew Matt. Um, I, I don't, I haven't talked to Matt since those Mount Union days. I don't have a close relationship with him at all, but, and I don't even know if the NFL is kind of his end game. I don't know if, uh, you know, he wants to get there eventually, but, um, you know, I, that's at least a call I'm going to make and see if he's interested. And, uh, you know, it's uh, a thing where he can kind of settle in his defensive coordinator and kind of be the coach and waiting there. And I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. And then for offensive coordinator, i tell you what, I'm really eager to see Freddie Kitchens in these next six games. Uh, I really liked what he did against Atlanta, uh, really changing it up. I think what I loved about what he did was first game ever in the NFL, kind of calling plays and being the offensive coordinator. You know, a lot of guys would be uptight and, you know, just really worried about making the wrong call, being really conservative that dude was loose. I mean, he was calling a lot of crazy stuff out there. And a lot of it, not a lot, some of it didn't work like that bizarre running back throw uh, that was intercepted. But you know what? Like I said, a lot of first time play callers, they'd be uptight. They'd be conservative, play it safe. But we saw the opposite with kitchens. He understands the talent. He has a quarterback with Baker Mayfield and he was trying to use it to the best of his, uh, his abilities and Baker's abilities uh, kind of catering the play calling around Baker's strengths. I mean, it's a novel idea. It's amazing <laughs> that they didn't figure it out before. Uh, but I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the fascinating thing will be what they look like this Sunday and how they look the rest of the the, uh, the, year, the last six games. Uh, the Bengals are awful on defense. But you know what, Marvin Lewis, uh, they're going to watch the tape from Sunday and they're going to see a lot of quick throws. They're going to see a lot of spread concepts, the diamond formation. Uh, see a lot of horizontal reads. How is Kitchens going to respond? Because it's going to be a little cat and mouse game. Uh, you know, with Kitchens only having one game as an offensive coordinator, as a defense, you're really not sure what to expect here. So I'm this weekend uh, with the Browns. I'm looking for some double moves, some pump and goes, some uh, trying to get those Bengals uh, defenders really looking at the short pass and then try to beat them up over the top. So. Uh, it's really going to be interesting with Freddie Kitchens to see what he looks like the rest of the way, see if he might be a realistic candidate for OC moving forward. So, Dane, I got a question for you. You said that you mm -hmm. had some interaction with Matt Campbell. Could mm -hmm. I, there's, I think there's a lot of Browns fans who wonder why this coach that has had some success in college would be apt, because his, his name has been thrown around there as the head coaching job. A lot. Mm -hmm. um, what what is different about Matt Campbell? Why is there is there some spark? Is there something about him that makes him a great candidate for this job? Is something to be excited about? Um, I just wonder what your perspective is on that. Yeah, and I, I I guess I mean the first thing I would just as an over 
overarching thought. Um, I, when it comes to head coach, the most important quality is you, you need a leader. Um, you know, it's why I never understood kind of like the hot coordinator becoming a head, unless that coordinator is going to be calling the plays, um, you know, then that's a little different. But, um, you know, the, you, I want a guy, number one thing with a head coach is I want a leader. I want a guy that you're going to be able to uh, rally around. You know, it's a cliche, but a lot of times teams take on the, the demeanor, the personality of your head coach. And it's so true. I mean, anybody that's played football, been in a locker room, knows uh, a lot of times that's how it plays out. And with Matt, um, you know, I was, gosh, when he was at Mount, it was my junior year, I believe. I was my junior at Mount, uh, around the football team, uh, doing a lot of work there, and just being around Matt, just not not knowing him, but being uh, in the periphery and just seeing how he handles business, seeing how he coached the team uh, and practice and games, just really impressed by the way he handles himself. And this is when he was, gosh, he, he would, he's probably late 30s now, so he was in late 20s back then, and he was the O.C., at, um, at Mount Union back then. Um, and so to see him go have success at Toledo, success at Iowa State, it's been it's just been great to see. And I think he's a guy that uh, you really can build something around because of the type of guy he is, the culture that he uh, builds. And I, I don't know if he has NFL aspirations, but he's, uh, he's a smart guy, he's a sharp guy, and he just he gets it. I don't know. He just has those natural, uh, intangible qualities that you were looking for in a head coach. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Um, another thing. So you were talking earlier about, uh, John Dorsey and the fact that he's a great talent evaluator and it gives a lot of hope for his ability to be able to evaluate the talent of an NFL coach too. Um, but this last draft class that we had, this 2018 group, um, it's one of the best we've had in a really long time with Baker performing as he is, um, with Nick Chubb proving that he can be in every down back, just about and being able to read the defenses, find his holes um, at two key offensive positions is really exciting. Do you think Denzel Ward? Denzel too? Ward, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Top I, of the NFL. I mean, in this modern NFL, your co- cover, your number one cornerback is just about one of the most important positions besides D end and quarterback. So, um, do you think that this is the best draft class that the Browns have ever had? Where would you rank it? amongst other groups we obviously had a lot of picks but yeah yeah well and that's uh i mean since they've come back in 99 i, I mean that's and, and to be fair you know we have to give this draft class some time you know because you don't you can't fully evaluate a draft class until you're two three years out and you really understand about those players <clears throat> um but i think you have to be there's no uh no reason not to be optimistic about what what the the early returns with Baker at quarterback, Denzel Ward at corner, uh, Chubb, Jannard Avery. It uh, definitely has potential to go down as uh, one of the best in this franchise history because of the way it's going to reshape the team moving forward. Um, and now it's it, it's even more important now to build off of that. Uh, you know, it's it's great that you had a great one great draft class. But now you need another one, you know, to help surround that other draft class with more very good to possibly great players um, at key positions. And so, um, I, you know, I think you, it, 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 I guess the doubters would probably say, well, you had two picks in the top five. You should have a great draft class. Well, I, I mean, ask any Browns fan. Uh, multiple first rounders. <laughs> 
that it, it means squat if you don't know what you're doing when you're picking the players. Uh, yeah, you I'm might reflect on, on Monday whenever I was watching Cam Irving get run over over and over and over and over again by Aaron Donald. Yeah, I was thinking Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel. That didn't really yeah, work or out Danny too well either. Shel- Danny Shelton and Cam Irving or uh, what Trent Richardson and Brandon Whedon or, oh. uh, I mean – Joe Thomas was pretty good, I'd say, but Brady Quinn didn't turn out. So, yeah, I mean, this the Browns have had so many first rounds with multiple multiple picks, and a lot of times it hasn't worked out. So it just goes to show you that, you know, uh, trading back is all, all well and good and having multiple first rounders, but unless you hit on those draft picks, it really doesn't mean much. So um, it looks like the Browns uh, not only hit, but, you know, hit a home run with those first two picks. Uh, Baker Mayfield, he's... I think he's he, – time will tell if he's going to be the best quarterback from this draft class. I think he's uh, he's a little older. He's a little more experienced. He was ready to step in from day one, uh, more so than Darnold and Rosen, some of these other guys. Um, so time will tell. I think – you know, I still think a guy like Darnold probably has a higher ceiling than Baker does. But Baker is ready right now, and he's going to get better and better. He's going to be a, a, a Pro Bowl-level quarterback in this league. So – uh, you know, it's uh, talk about a haul. Uh, we'll see in have you know Austin Corbett first pick in the second round. You know, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, you know, Thomas in the third round. You know, those those are two big question marks. Where you know, huge think, yeah, question no mark. Matter, no matter what, Michael hates Chad guys, Thomas. Well, hey, I, I mean, I I can't argue with you, but I can't <laughs> agree with you because we we can't we don't see them. You know, it's it's hard to say, and that's I think that's the problem right there is he can't get on the field. Uh, he's got uh, you know x amount of snaps, probably has you know a couple dozen snaps on the season. That's it. And a part of it was the injury that he had, and that kind of put him behind the eight ball and uh, didn't get the reps that he needed at practice. And you know, he's struggling to, to find playing time. And so I, you know, I just hope that down the line it pays off, which I think it will with Austin Corbett. Um, I think he's. Uh, I was very surprised by that pick just because the interior of the offensive line really wasn't a need. And that's what Austin Corbett is. He's an interior lineman, whether it's guard center. I know he played left tackle in in college in Nevada, but uh, his best pro position was definitely on the inside. And uh, that's not what a need was for the Browns. Uh, But they must have loved Austin Corbett. Must have had a huge grade on him and said, you know what, we're not really – trying to mix and match. This isn't Madden. You know, we're not trying to mix and match. And we, we just want the best players. And Austin Corbett is by far the best offensive lineman we have available here for us on the board. So we're going to take him. And at some point, might not be his rookie year, but at some point he's going to start and be a viable guy for us. And so um, I would say just to stay patient with Austin Corbett. Uh, with, with Chad Thomas, yeah, I, that, that's a tough one. I, I, I'm not as optimistic about that one long term, but until we see him on the field, it's hard to know. What was your what was your evaluation though from like a pure draft standpoint? Not everybody has your draft guide where they can read through everything. Um, what are your thoughts on Chad Thomas coming in and out of the draft? <laughs> I had a uh, a fifth round grade on it, Chad. Um, he <laughs> wasn't overly productive in, in college at Miami, uh, but he has a lot of traits that you look for. He's six five, two hundred eighty pounds. Uh, you know, he had a really good uh, pro day in terms of his workouts. And I think that helped him. Uh, you know, he's just he's a guy that isn't that, uh, you know, speedy edge guy who's going to run off the uh, off the edge and get after the quarterback. But he can be a powerful presence inside, play over the tackle, inside the tackle um, and just 
kind of be a depth guy. That, that's how I saw him. Um, you know, I taking him in the third round. The Browns obviously saw or thought much higher of him, uh, and hopefully they think he can be a starter even still. But I saw a guy that was – he certainly looks the part. He's got uh, the size that you look for. He's got long arms. Uh, he's a, he's an athletic kid. He's just not that – you know, that he's not that Von Miller type who is going to uh, scream off the edge and uh, threaten the corner every time. But he's, he plays with some power. He plays with some athleticism. He's just kind of, uh, you know, behind the eight ball in terms of his understanding of what it takes to be a, uh, a quality NFL player. And so at this point – you just hope that he's able to get some more reps down the stretch and then going into next season in the training camp, he's willing to uh, put in time in the off season and then compete for uh, more playing time next, uh, next August. Yeah, we can only hope. Um, you had mentioned earlier that part of being a, a draft analyst is self-reflection and self-grading and self-critique. Is there, is there any big lesson that you learned this year, anybody that you bought into, any regrets that – Maybe now in hindsight, I know it's so early still, and you you can't write off just about anybody at this point. But any anything that you've taken away already that you're putting towards 2019? Um, I, I think Jannard Avery. Speaking of uh, you know a Browns pick, um, he is a great example of the difference between evaluation and then valuation. Um, if, if you know, I think he's he's outplaying his draft spot in the fifth round, but he was drafted exactly where I, I had him projected the fifth round. Uh, and when I read my report on on Gennard Avery, I think I nailed him. I think I got him exactly right. But my problem was, with him was I saw him as a sub package guy who can be a valuable rusher um, at more of a nickel rusher type. And, you know, I don't. The value of those guys, you know, I, if I'm drafting a guy in the second, third round, I want a starter. I want a guy who's going to give me value or, you know, a, a volume uh, on the field. But, it, you know, so I, I think I got the evaluation part right in terms of identifying what um, what Jannard does, what's his you know, strengths, weaknesses, the best way he can help you. Um, my, my report on him, I think I, I got the evaluation part right. But the valuation part is where I think I, I or I know I missed because he's definitely outplaying uh, the projection I gave him, which was a fifth rounder. Um, he's definitely outplaying where he was drafted in the fifth round, and that's because uh, of his impact. Yes, he might not be a starter because uh, he's going to have some issues versus the run. Um, you know, he, you drop him in the space, you, there's going to be mixed results. But when you let him pin his ears back and get after the quarterback. That's what he does best, and just because he's relentless, he's athletic, he's strong. Uh, so as a nickel rusher, he might not be a starter. Uh, even for the long term, he might not be a starter. But when he gives you that type of juice as on third downs and obvious passing downs, what's I mean, that's worth more than a fifth rounder, obviously. That's, that's worth a much higher draft pick. And so I think the difference between evaluation and evaluation is something that um, you know, as a as an evaluator, still trying to you know you figure out with each player. Yeah, it's so interesting because you you have a guy like Jannard Avery who's clearly performing for our team, clearly been a huge upside um, as a pass rusher, and he's a fifth rounder. But then you have Chad Thomas, who we were just talking about, who, it, as far as I understand it, is more of like a run stopper. Do you think that right. that's a testament to that valuation, the value that they have? is based on the modern NFL and what the NFL is right now. Just pass rushing ability, pinning your ears back, that is such a more important trait to be able 
to do than be the best run stopper or defensive end there is in the entire league. Well, and that, yeah, and it goes back to the valuation part because, uh, you know, in a perfect world, Chad Thomas should be playing the first two downs and, uh, you, you know, playing a lot more snaps than uh, a Gerard Avery in just in terms of what they do. Because, uh, you know, he might not be the flashy edge rusher, Chad Thomas, but you still need that stout run defender who uh, can make plays, uh, give you a little bit of pass rush, but, you know, still hold up versus the run and, uh, you know, keep you honest up front. You need guys like that. And mm-hmm. so you're talking about a guy that might not have huge numbers, but he's valuable. Uh, compare that to a guy that has a fraction of the, of the snaps, but he might have, you know, eight sacks for you on the season. And, you know, the just what the way he can threaten the pocket on third down, it's, it, it goes back to the way you use these players. And, uh, you know, you have to have a plan for each one of them. And so for uh, a guy that uh, – and that's why I think when we go back to, you know, looking at this draft class, um, you know, the upcoming draft class, uh, the value of pass rush and how important that is uh, for uh, modern NFL. I mean, heck, you mentioned the Monday night football game the other night, um, you know, watching guys like Aaron Donald, um, uh, the the rusher, Ebducom, or however you pronounce his name. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the impact that they had in that game, uh, you know. Dude uh, had the game of his the life. Yeah, and that's uh, you know call it what you call it the NASCAR package, call it the uh, what Ohio State they call it the Rushman package. You know, I mean, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, just get guys like that on the field, and uh, you know you're going to have value. So I, I definitely think we're going to see more and more of that shift towards guys that can threaten the pocket more so than just the big bodies who are going to uh, you know be run pluggers and you know the Danny Shelton's of the world. All right, Dane. So we talked about the Browns. We've looked back at the 18 drafts, which we're obviously very pleased about. But really the reason we brought you on is because it's the bye week and we need something to talk about. And as Browns fans, we love looking forward to next year's draft. Um, So we haven't been in it nearly as much as you have. Give us the general overview, what you're seeing coming up in this class and what we have to look forward to um, as we, as fans, start to dive into this deeper once the season ends. Well, you know, it's uh, we're coming up on uh, you know the end of the college football season. Uh, a lot of teams uh, they're playing their final games this Saturday, and so it's more and more inching towards draft season. Uh, senior Bowl invites have gone out. Um, you know, it's a big part of the evaluation process. So. It's fun to see some of the guys that have accepted and, you know, who's getting invited and all that. Um, but we look forward to this draft class. It's obviously, a lot will depend on the underclassmen. Uh, the deadline for that is mid-January. So by the end of – or by mid-January, we'll know uh, exactly what this draft class looks like in terms of the underclassmen, in terms of who, who came out, who's going back. And the strength of this defensive – or this uh, draft class is going to be the defensive line. Um, you know, I did my – uh, mid-season draft board uh, a couple weeks ago, and literally half of the top 32 players on my draft board were defensive linemen, either interior or on the edges, uh, pass rushers. So it's going to be a very strong defensive end, uh, defensive tackle class. And if you need a quarterback, if you need a running back, uh, you know it's not a good draft for you in the first round. But luckily for the Browns fans, uh, you, you're 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 set at those two positions, so you're in good shape there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see some of these other positions like wide receiver, like offensive tackle. 
Um, I have not studied a wide receiver yet that I think is a, a lock top 20 pick. Um, I think that I, I, I do like this wide receiver class quite a bit, but I like it, it between picks 21 and 75. I think there's a lot of value in that range with the wide receivers that you can get. Um, and then, I mean, that's been true for a few years in the draft, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Well, and but we, you know, two years ago we saw three teams reach on the position: Corey Davis taking fifth overall by the Titans, Mike Williams to the Chargers, uh, and then John Ross to the Bengals, nine overall. And so, you know, I, I think that, um, but more often than not, I think you're right. Um, you know, the year the Browns and Corey Coleman. That Will Fuller went in the first round that year, and uh, Doxon, Laquan Treadwell, Mike Thomas was a second rounder. So I, I do think that this draft, uh, like I said, there's no AJ Green, there's no Julio Jones. Um, you know those guys that you just obviously know is a big time player is going to project as a number one. Um, this draft has several intriguing wide receiver prospects who have just different strengths of what they do. Um, you know, you look at. Uh, Hollywood Brown from Oklahoma. Uh, he's really undersized. He's 5'9", 170 pounds, but <laughs> he's got special speed. You know, the Tyree Kill type of speed in terms of uh, his ability to stress out a defense vertically, uh, horizontally, all over the field. You just have to account for what he can do. Um, and obviously, he's he's familiar with Baker Mayfield with that connection. Um, but this, this wide receiver class, if, if you want a big-bodied receiver who can post up and you know, out rebound everybody else. Then JJ Arcega Whiteside from Stanford, that's your guy. Um, if you want a big-bodied uh, guy who can, you know, has ball skills and can, you know, give you a little bit of athleticism, uh, Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. You know, maybe he's who you want. Uh, so, so many different flavors of wide receiver talent yeah. in this draft. I think it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, what, what kind of receiver that the, uh, that the Browns end up going after. So Avakot, you were commenting about how awesome the defensive line class is, both mm-hmm. ends and interior, and that 16 of the 32 are in your top, you know, top 32. Mm-hmm. How do you see that playing out in the actual draft? Does that mean that like some of these guys that are really like first round grades are going to be drifting into the second round, or do you just think it's going to be a really heavy defensive line first round? I think it'll be heavy defensive line. I mean. more than likely we'll see some of them get pushed to the second round. Just, uh, you know, it's the nature of how the draft works. Some teams will uh, reach on offensive lines. Some teams will reach on a different position, especially a quarterback maybe. Um, And that's going to push a defensive lineman to the second round. Uh, But I do think that we're going to see, you know, plenty of uh, defensive linemen go in the first round, well over 10, uh, closer to a dozen, maybe more. Um, you know, obviously you have got your, your Nick Bosa's he's at the top to me. He's still the best player in this draft. Uh, right. Quinton Williams from Alabama, the defensive tackle has the best tape of anybody I've watched this year so far. Um, he's, he's outstanding for Alabama. He's only a redshirt sophomore. If he comes out, he's going to be, uh, in a top 10 mix. Rashawn Gary from Michigan, uh, immensely talented. It doesn't always show he's a little inconsistent. He's been hurt, but when he's on the natural talent is off the charts. Rashawn Gary is going to be in that mix. Uh, Mississippi State has a two has two guys that uh, both of them have some off the field questions, but both of them are uh, legit early top half of round one uh, type of guys. Ed Oliver from uh, Houston, who has been in the news lately with uh, you know what happened with the uh, jacket gate and all that. Uh, <laughs> 
just uh, the ridiculousness of, the, of that incident. But uh, he's going to be somewhere in the top 10, 12 mix. Uh, he's I'll he's take not going to be for everybody. Well, I, so would I. But he's not going to be for everybody. <laughs> uh, he's going to get. I, I tell you right now, he's going to get picked apart throughout the process because. But he's also he a kid. Have, he's a kid who was from Houston and went to his hometown school. Like that's got to yep. count for something. Like that. That tells you a little bit about the the person and the character too, as well. I mean, he he knew he wasn't oh, yeah. going to go win anything at Houston, but he wanted to be there. Like, and people are picking him apart for wearing a jacket. I think this is Major Applewhite's fault, if you ask me. But well, no, no and I I'm, trust me. I'm well. First of all, I I meant more pick apart because of the size. That's that's what I think yeah. more than anything else. They're going to pick apart. But no, I mean, I think you're right. I, I, I think everyone, everyone, no one looks good from that situation. Coach Applewhite looks like a fool for the way he handled it. Uh, I mean, you don't, in front of the team like that, you don't figuratively and physically undress a player. I don't care who it is. <laughs> uh, if it's, you just don't do it. And so, I, you know, a lot of it's on the coach, um, you know. Uh, but I also think that Ed Oliver deserves some criticism for the way he handled it. And, you know, blowing up on the field, that's one thing. But physically leaving the stadium at halftime because you had to blow, you had to run in with the coach. That's not cool. I mean, there's a reason sure. I don't. I've I've never heard of that happening before. Uh, of a player literally leaving the team at halftime because of a run in with the coach. That just doesn't happen. And so um, I think that he's done what he needed to do okay. up to this point in terms of making good on what happened. He said he's going to play this Friday against Memphis. He apologized to the team and the coaching staff. Sounds like everything's all well and good. And I don't think he's going to fall at all because of this uh, situation. But I do think teams are going to pick him apart because the size, the lack of length, um, he's just, he's not going to be for every scheme. And that could, I think he's probably, it's more realistic. He goes in that six to 12 range more so than top five, but I still think he's a really good player and a guy that's going to be a pro for a long time. Sounds like he'd be a good fit for the bills. He's got that Vontae Davis vibe. Just yeah, there you go. <laughs> leave it at halftime situation. Skip out, you know. If it gets hard, you know what you do? You quit. <laughs> Just call it a day. Retire. Um, so, so Dane, uh, obviously with the chasm that's been left with Joe Thomas, we've had our problems um, at left tackle. Um, seemingly found a solution, but not... And right one. tackle, for that matter. And, yeah, and right tackle. Are there any tackles available in this draft that... Um, you think could be difference makers in year one? It's obviously a huge step to take to be an NFL left tackle right off the bat. But do you think there's any difference makers that could step right in? Yeah, thanks, Sashi, for not signing Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, Drop the <laughs> ball on that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, – oh, and by the way, who did sign Mitchell Schwartz? John Dorsey. Um, yeah. For $6 billion a year, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I there are two tackles that in this class that I view as uh, legitimate top half of round one guys, and that's Greg Little from Ole Miss and Jonah Williams from Alabama. Uh, Jonah Williams is he's more of that Joe Thomas type of guy where he definitely has some limitations with you know Joe Thomas as quick footed as he was, he wasn't you know he had short arms compared to what NFL teams really look for its position and it's kind of similar to Jonah. He's uh, doesn't have the ideal physical traits, but he has, he's so technically sound. He's so tough. Uh, his awareness is off the charts. 
Uh, he he doesn't take it easy uh, against an opponent anytime he's on the field. I mean, he's blocking well through the whistle. Um, and I think just all that attention to detail and understanding how to play the position and how to beat the opponent, um, that's why Jonah Williams is going to stay at left tackle and uh, be a longtime pro. Greg Little is uh, more of that Ronnie Stanley, who was a top 10 pick for the uh, Ravens a couple years ago. Uh, he's really smooth with his athleticism, the way he moves. Um, you know, he's uh, very relaxed with his punch, um, you know, maybe a little too passive at times. You want him to be a little more of a, uh, aggressive, uh, glass eater kind of guy like Jonah Williams, but you don't always see that, but Greg Little's a guy, and I know Browns fans don't want to hear about a player named Greg Little, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a lot better, I promise. And so I think if, if the Browns are in the mix for an offensive tackle in round one, it's going to be one of those two guys, Greg Little or Jonah Williams. Nice. I, w- I would like to redeem the name Greg Little. I think it's, 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 it's a solid name. I think that would be a good fit for the Browns. Um, speaking of go. wide receivers with Greg Little, we you mentioned it before that they're looking better between picks roughly 20 and 70. So is that a realistic position for the Browns in the second, maybe third round with somebody who could come in and, and help? Because we could use all the help we can get it with a number one type receiver. Yeah, I think so, and I think it depends on who they draft, obviously. But, uh, you know, I think they're going to have plenty of options. If they wait until the second round uh, to pick their wide receiver, there's going to be several options they could go. Um, you know, and again, different flavors. They want the bigger wide receiver who's, uh, you know, they think they can win with, uh, you know, just with size and aggressiveness and uh, winning at the catch point than, you know, a guy like Nikhil Harry uh, or Sega Whiteside. Uh, those types of guys. If you want guys that, um, you know, maybe better route runners, like a, a Riley Ridley from Georgia, um, you know, an undersized player who... That's Calvin's uh, brother, right? Yeah, it's Calvin's little brother. That's right. Uh, he's he's not quite as, um, as, as dynamic as Calvin is, but he's a little bigger. Uh, Riley's probably 6'1", 210. And, you know, whereas uh, Calvin was a little bit smaller than that. So Riley's a little bigger, he, but he's not quite as dynamic. Um, but he's still a really good player. Um, Ole Miss has three wide receivers that are really talented. Um, and so I, they're just, there's so many wide receivers in this class that are really intriguing. Uh, Deontay Johnson at Toledo. Uh, Dylan Mitchell at Oregon. Brian uh, Edwards at South Carolina. Kelvin Harmon, NC State. Uh, all these guys uh, are, are possible top 75 picks, guys that the Browns uh, should be looking at and, you know, I, I bet we'll be interested in. Is So when you think about receiver, don't you think a lot of that's going to be dependent on what coach and what offensive system we're trying to put in place? That definitely should play a part. Um, but, you know, if you're John Dorsey, you are you're trying to make the football team better. And in order to do that, you, you know, need to help the quarterback. And uh, so they need to address the wide receiver position at some point and in some way. But I think, you know, to your point, uh, how they address it with the style of player they draft that, uh, you know, that ideal, you're going to draft a player that transcends, uh, you know, scheme, you know, a guy that can play. Because uh, if this offensive coordinator, uh, coordinator doesn't work out and you bring in another one, you know, it's, it's not going to matter, hopefully. You're drafting a wide receiver that's going to work regardless of scheme. Um, so I think that's obviously the goal. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, there could be an influence based on who the hire is as the play caller. 
All right, so Dane, who are some lesser-known players that are really intriguing to you thus far in your evaluation process as we look at the 2019 class? Um, I think that uh, there's a kid from Delaware, uh, Nasir Adderley, who is, uh, to me, one of the best defensive backs in this class. Doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Um, I think he's... Uh, he's got a corner background. He can play free safety, can play nickel, can do just a little bit of everything. Uh, he's got a, he's got some twitched up, uh, athleticism uh, with his movement skills. He can cover, uh, he'll hit you. He's got ball skills and he's a great kid. Uh, really enjoyed, uh, talking with him, finding out more about him. Uh, so I think Nasser Adderley is a guy who, uh, he's going to rise throughout the process. I mean, I, I say rise in air quotes because in reality, he's already there. I mean, he's, he's my highest graded senior defensive back. But the more the process goes on, the more you're going to hear about this kid from Delaware. Um, but just, just know it's not coming out of nowhere. He's already uh, really highly – I mean, he's already a possibility in the second round. Um, uh, Rocky Sin from Temple, not only does he have the best name in the draft, <laughs> but yeah, – uh, give, give us that name again. What is it? His first name is Rock, R-O-C-K. And then Yasin, Y A apostrophe S I N. Uh, love it. It's just it's fantastic. <laughs> and it's not only one of the best names, but he has a great backstory. He he was playing last year at the SCS level and at Presbyterian, and he transferred to Temple for this year. Uh, not and, and that's only because Presbyterian was moving to a non-scholarship conference, and so Temple gave him a shot, and he's really developed into a guy that's going to be a future NFL starter. He's and, you know, when I talked to him, he told me that in high school, he, his junior year, he thought he was going to be an Olympic wrestler one day. He, he never <laughs> even started playing football until his junior year in high school. So, um, you know, just really funny how things work out. He's one of the uh, lesser known guys who, to me, is an NFL starter. Uh, is going to be uh, in this league for a long time. Great, great what, name. What position does he play? He's a corner. Great. Okay. Only rivaled by... Uh... Hercules Mataafa from last year yeah. and Equinemius St. Brown. Those are those ones. are two of the standouts from last year. When I learned that Equinemius St. <laughs> Brown's dad just decided that Brown wasn't a sufficient last name and he needed to add <laughs> Saint to it to make it like yep. fit, that that's what sold me. Dude's a baller. He named his child <laughs> that, Equinemius. That, that entire family is just they're they're out there a little bit, but he was a the, he was a bodybuilder, wasn't he? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, he's he was former Mister uh, Universe or whatever, whatever that Olympia is. or whatever, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and his uh, Equiminius, his younger brother, is Amon Ra at USC. He's a big time receiver, uh, going to be a, a big time draft pick down the line. He's only a freshman now, so yeah, they've uh, that family is. Uh, they're a little different, but there's no question they've got athletic genes in that family, and they're producing gems. That's fantastic. Um, so, Dane, we are thinking about, uh, the brothers and I, we're thinking about going um, to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Um, I'm mm-hmm. sure that's something that you do. Do you have any uh, thoughts, recommendations, uh, places we should hit up? Yeah, I, I've gone to the uh, Senior Bowl every year in the last, uh, gosh, probably 10 years now. Um, it's one of my favorite trips of the entire year. Uh, I love Mobile. It's um, it's a lot of fun. Um, just aside from the ability to be up close and personal uh, with these guys, these players, scouting them um, from the sidelines, uh, aside from that, 
it's just, it's a great place to uh, you know catch up with uh, NFL buddies and you know other people in this business. And so a lot if if anyone's out there listening and want to get involved with you know this business one day, it's a great place to check out and just kind of network, uh, meet people, that kind of thing. And um, you know I. Mobile's got pretty good barbecue, pretty good uh, seafood, so uh, always make sure and hit those up as well. But no, Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl is the last time we see these players, these prospects in a football environment. You know, pads, helmet on a football field. You know, you think of the combine, you think of workouts. It's it's done in shorts. It's done in a t-shirt or you know, Under Armour, Under Armour, uh, you know, compression, whatever. You know, it's it's not done in a football setting like the senior bowl is. So it's really the last chance to see these guys in that type of environment. So that's a lot of fun. All right. Well, we look forward to it. We'll see you there. Well, Dane, maybe we'll buy you a beer, Dane, whenever we're there. I won't say no. no. (laughs) (laughs) That's my man. Um, So thanks for joining us. We'd be remiss. Uh, Congrats on your new role. I know you, you, you recently changed positions. You, you joined the athletic um, I, I believe you're a draft analyst for, for the athletic that's yep. your title. Um, so tell us a little bit about, about that and the athletic and, and what they have to offer. Yeah, the athletic, um, you know, is something that was a really intriguing idea, you know, from the outside looking in, um, you know, before I started working for them, uh, they started hiring all these, uh, you know, well-known, well-established, uh, really talented writers uh, and they really wanted to bring the, the newspaper back, uh, but, you know, make it the uh, online presence, uh, you know, get people reading quality sports journalism again. Um, and it's a subscription site. And so, you know, I think right now or we have a there's a big Black Friday deal where I think it's 50 percent off. So it's like, you know, 30 bucks for a year uh, to get a subscription. And, you know, it's it's something I hope people take advantage of because, you know, not only if you're a draft fan, not only do you get all of my content, but you get everybody's content, you know, from every sport, um, you know, baseball and Ken Rosenthal's your thing or football, Jake Laser, um, college football with Bruce Feldman, Stu Mandel, all those guys. I mean, across every single sport, there's so many good writers. And so it's been it's been an honor to be a part of it. Um, they brought me on in August to be their uh, NFL draft guy. And so I you know, I really, I was humbled by the opportunity, decided to go for it. And I'm, I'm glad I did because it's, it's been uh, a great company to work for uh, a lot of cool people uh, getting to know all them. And so I've, I've really enjoyed it. And um, you know, it's, it's one of those places where I wouldn't mind working for the next um, you know, uh, how many years just uh, because it is such an enjoyable place to work. So if you don't have a subscription already, I highly encourage you to check it out. I mean, if it's, the way I describe it is it's the it's the new Sports Illustrated for the next generation. You know, it's it, the cost is the same in terms of what you pay for a yearly magazine subscription. But instead of, uh, you know, waiting to get a magazine once a month or once a week, uh, you have the app on your phone that's constantly updated with uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of different stories every single day right at your fingertips. So um, it's, it's the Sports Illustrated for the next generation, and it's something that I think uh, – uh, the, the feedback so far has been awesome, um, and so I hope people are checking it out. And, um, maybe if you're a little on the fence, do a seven-day free trial. Check it out for yourself and decide if you think it's for you. I think you'll really like what you see. I think we're going to do it. We'll take advantage of the the uh, 
Black Friday special. And Please hopefully go. a lot of our fans will do that as well. So, Dane, we loved your draft guide last year, which was the first year that we had um, actually downloaded it. Is that distinct from what you're doing in The Athletic, or are those two things merging in some way now? I think they'll probably merge in some way. Um, honestly, we're still working through it. Um, you know, the draft guide is something I've done every year. Is You know, it's important to me. Um, but obviously, The Athletic is first and foremost in terms of, um, you know, what I do. And so I, I think there's a way to kind of do it together, whether that's maybe every subscriber gets my draft guide for free or maybe it's something where everything that's in my draft guides already on the athletic, you know, I'm still working through what it's going to look like, but um, you know, I'm going to do all the, all the work already. It's just a matter of how the content is then provided. So uh, some form, some way, uh, still working through it, but stay tuned on that. Okay. Hey, if you need someone to represent you in your negotiations, I'm happy to volunteer. <laughs> for the room. Hey, hey, I'm, hey, hey, I'm the lawyer. Come on. Come on. <laughs> well, uh, Dane, we really did enjoy reading the draft guide. So if you find out how that's going to be disseminated, you just let us know and we'll let all our listeners know as well because um, we're looking forward to that. That's where we got most of our information. It's It really is just a thorough, thorough overview of every single prospect that could possibly be drafted by the Browns or your team if you're listening to this podcast and you follow some other team for whatever reason. Um, so thanks so much for coming on, Dane. We really appreciate you. Uh, no, anytime. This, I enjoy yeah. it, guys. Uh, yeah, this is fantastic. You know, whenever I get the get the message that you want me on, uh, you know, I, I try to make it happen because I enjoy talking to you guys. You guys have a lot of passion for the Browns, and you know, for better or for worse. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's a lot of fun talking to you guys about the, the state of the organization, and especially now with, uh, you know, the arrow pointing up. It's a little more fun. <laughs> oh, it is exciting. Um, if you guys want to, listeners, if you want to follow Dane, you can follow him on Twitter. Um, that is at DP Brugler. That's D-P-B-R-U-G-L-E-R. Um, he's always got uh, firsthand insights about um, the NFL, college football, um, and you can get that information about the draft guide. Thanks so much, Dane. Anytime, guys. Take care. All right. Have Happy a good night. Thanksgiving. We don't deserve him. No, we don't. He's so kind. He, I think he genuinely likes us. That's amazing. I- it's hard to figure out, but we'll roll with it for now. <laughs> I feel great about that. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight, knowing that Dane approves um, of the podcast. One of the things we do here on the podcast is we compete amongst each other. We've been doing it our whole lives, and uh, so we want to do it for you guys. We pick the lines of all the primetime games um, going forward. And Michael, keeps It's funny. These competitions it. from our whole lives is tracking quite similarly to, to this competition oh, where s- I beat you. S- screw you. Bullshit. <laughs> I mean, Matthew's angry about that, but I mean, in the fact that I'm losing, yes, but you didn't yes. always win. I, I don't think there's many things, Michael, that you could just beat me at right now. An yeah. arm wrestle. No real wrestling Fist fight. No real wrestle. Still, no still play horse. Let's go play golf. There's a lot of things I could beat you in. All right, there we go. That's two. Uh, let, I'll You'd take, beat me I'll in take Mario Kart. Field. That's about the only thing I would uh, give you credit in. I absolutely would beat you in Mario Kart. I would also beat you in Catan. And Super, Super Smash. Smash. <laughs> My goodness, I would beat you in Super Smash Brothers Melee. I'd like to I do that, actually. I beat you in Catan all the time. Yeah, I also beat you at Catan all the time. Anyway, uh, we digress. Anyway. Thanksgiving's going to be fun, y'all. <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, we we pick the primetime games, and since this week is a different week because there's all these games on Thursday night during uh, Thanksgiving, we're just going to pick those ones. We're going to pick the Thanksgiving games, and then we're also going to pick the Browns game like we do every week. So, uh, Michael, keep us updated, as I'm sure you will just smugly love to do. No, what, it's okay. What's, what's I'm in first. Record? You're in second. I'm in first. You're in second. Matthew's only picked 37% of these games correctly, so he's doing quite poorly. <laughs> Um, start flipping a coin. Yeah, we're just start <laughs> regressing to the mean, y'all. <laughs> so we'll just get going because we got a lot of games to pick. Chicago is um, heading to Detroit, and the Bears are favored by three, even though they do not have Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback. So, Mark, why don't you go ahead and pick this one first? Yeah, I'm going to pick Detroit. I think that they have pulled some games out of their hats um, including the uh, Patriots game. I think the loss of Mitchell Trubisky, not that I think he's any great talent or anything like that, but it's going to have a cumulative effect, I don't think, um, that they're going to be able to win by more than three. I'm going to pick the Lions. They're used to playing on Thanksgiving. I'm going to do the same. I'm, I'll take Detroit minus the points here, um, especially without the Bears starting quarterback. Here's my thing. I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is that good. So this is like a no-brainer to me. Like I almost think Chase Daniels is an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky, and no. they're gonna be like, okay, we've seen Chase come Daniel on. come in. We've seen Chase Daniel come in and light it up when he was Drew Brees' backup. Like this is not his first rodeo. He's yeah, been but playing. He's playing for Sean Payton in the Saints. Okay, but but Nag, he's playing for Nagy, who has been having to carry Mitchell Trubisky's butt along all season, and they're winning football games. I really think that they're going to look good on offense because of Nagy and the coach. And as Mitchell Trubisky being gone is not going to matter. No, that's that, fair. I'm. I don't sure, think that's whatever. a concern of mine at all. Great. So I'll I'm mark you down in the win column for me. Yeah. I'm going to save save this audio segment. Um, all right. Well, that's going to be sweet when you lose. At Cowboys. <laughs> Cowboys favored by seven in this game. That's wild. Which another, they were dealing with another quarterback issue here with Alex Smith going down and Colt McCoy having to play for the Redskins. So, Matthew, I'll let you pick this one first. Washington at Dallas. Dallas favored by seven. This is tough because you've got Dallas at home. Um, Dallas has been playing much better recently. But I can't take plus seven. I've I've got to take Washington here. Um, I don't I don't I think it's a hard a hard pill to swallow for Washington losing Alex Smith for the year. I don't like their long term prospects, but here plus seven against Dallas, I'll take them. Yeah, yeah. I um, the thing about Dallas is they really need this game. Like it's a tight race to be able to get into the playoffs there, and the Redskins are sitting on top of it, but. It's a divisional game. They're gonna they're gonna fight to the end. Um, it is tough. I just think Dallas isn't good enough to be seven points favored in any game in the NFL with the parity that's sitting. I'm gonna go with the Redskins. I also saw something that Jason Garrett is something like zero and ten against the spread on Thanksgiving. Oh jeez. <laughs> so. All right, I'm picking the Redskins. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think if I could come up with some like creative way to pick something different than you guys, but there's no way I, I, I can't there's it's not there. That was a nail in the coffin. All right. Uh, we'll live and die together. Yeah. All right. You pick this uh, one first. So Atlanta at new Orleans with the saints favored by 12 and a half. They're the home team. So that's, 
accounts for some of those points, but gee whiz, 12 and a half points. Um, oh, but they've been crushing everybody. Like they, I think, 12 and Atlanta's, I think 12 and, and a half is de- modest. And Atlanta's defense, I mean, the Browns made their defense not look good. I, oh, I'll go New Orleans. I feel much more comfortable picking New Orleans than Atlanta. Matthew? 12 and a half to me, I mean, that that's a runaway. To me, this game's going to be a shootout. I have no doubt that New Orleans is going to win, but Atlanta can put up points, and New Orleans' defense hasn't been great. So I, I see this going back and forth. I think it's going to be closer than 12 and a half points. At the end, it'll be a comfortable win for New Orleans, but 10 points, maybe, not 12 and a half. Hmm. Says the guy with a 37% uh, winning percentage. Go ahead, Mark. Shots are being fired. (laughs) Shots are being fired. Competition is stiff right now. I guess this happens. Does this happen when we're in opposite rooms and there's no like immediate like. uh... (laughs) There's no physical danger. (laughs) (laughs) I. uh, That's hilarious. Go ahead, Mark. Um. I New Orleans is so so good, and if I had to pick someone that's going to win the Super Bowl after their beating of the Chiefs a couple weeks ago, I would pick New Orleans. I think that after like we just beat Atlanta, we just beat them handily. Um, I think New Orleans twelve and a half points is not enough points. It's going to be more than that. Um, I think two touchdowns is not unreasonable. Falcons defense absolutely sucks, and. The Falcons' offense can be stopped. They've had so much problems in the red zone. They have not been able to put touchdowns in the end zone throughout the year. I, I just, I'm going to go with the Saints. All right. Didn't the Browns beat the Falcons? Yeah, the Browns yeah, beat the Falcons Yeah, but we almost beat the Saints. Points. We almost beat the Saints, too. That is true. That is true. True. So, Okay. And that brings us to the Browns game, which is the last game we'll pick. Uh, let's spend a little extra time actually talk about this game. game uh, everything. So we had an extra week to prepare. Uh, Huey is on the other uh, sideline, hopefully putting terrible game plans together. I love that. Um, I, I love that. I love that he is already latched on to a division opponent, and we get to just have this grudge match twice a year for the foreseeable future. He is um, at least for this season, because oh man, he's such a parasite. It's gonna be <laughs> like, don't you think he's just like sucking from the teat of Marvin Wood in Cincinnati? Like <laughs> he's just he's just latched on. He's never gonna let go. He's there for good, which is great. I want him to be there for good. What's funny though is the Bengals players all seem to like all the reports and fans. They're they... so glad that he's back. All love him. <laughs> <laughs> the the Browns players who just laughed like when they like Demarius Randall like crying face um, like laughing emoji when he was signed. It's hilarious to me when when we see the Bengals again. What is it, Week Seventeen or is that the Ravens? I don't remember. No. We played the Bengals twice. It's the Ravens, Ravens it's going, going forward. See the Bengals when we see the Bengals again. Hugh Jackson's probably going to be their defensive coordinator. Calling plays like that—that that is the, the, quarter, the path that they're on. The quarterback guru. Yeah, and it's so bizarre. This, this this whole thing is so tour, bizarre. On his media tour, he kept talking about how he was one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, and he's going to be a defensive coordinator. 
I will, say, I will say there's something that Hugh Jackson's doing that we could all take note. How can you be so categorically terrible at your job consistently for three years and still be well positioned? Just fake it, it fake it till you make it, baby. Well, and suck up to the right people. It's, he like knows how to position himself to with the right people. The Haslam's still love the guy. Hugh Hugh Jackson should should just transition to politics. Like like he can win people over. Without, no doubt. without any substance whatsoever. Like, he, he could get elected. Yep. All right. And so that brings us to the game. The Bengals have not been playing very well. The reason Hugh Jackson, there's a spot on that coaching staff for Hugh Jackson is because they just fired their defensive coordinator because they gave up over 500 yards in three consecutive games. They're kind of reeling, and A.J. Green is banged up. Do we know if he's going to play on Sunday yet or not? He's supposed to be coming back, but I haven't heard if he is active for the game or not, or if he's even practicing. I we should have done our homework before this podcast. So sorry but to the list. If AJ but, Green doesn't play, Tyler Boyd is killing it. Yeah, but he's he, Tyler Boyd is nothing like AJ Green. Like if AJ Green is out of this game, it's a huge, huge win for the Browns. I mean, I. I think that sways things in our favor significantly. Yes, Tyler Boyd's playing well and putting up numbers, but I don't think that you're game planning around Tyler Boyd like you have to around A.J. Green. Sure. ESPN is reporting that A.J. Green has a good chance to play okay. against the Browns. Well, that's a bummer. I was hoping he was going to be out another week, but we'll see. Me too. We'll see. Okay, I'll go ahead and pick this one first too. Um, I've been picking the Browns all year, and I don't see any reason to go against it. We've been playing great. I like the ingenuity we've seen from Freddie Kitchens. I think that's going to continue in a new and unique manner. I don't think we're going to see a lot of the same stuff we've been seeing. Um, and given that the Bengals have been giving up all these yards, I just don't see that stopping in this instance. And um, I'm going to take the Browns. I think they, they're being given three points in this game, and I'm going to jump all over it. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I mean, the Browns are 6-4 and four against the spread so far this year. Um, I like this opportunity. We haven't won a game on the road all season, but if there's any anecdote for that, it's Hugh Jackson being on the other side. So I'll take the Browns. Yeah, I. Uh, from hearing all the players talk about the fact that Hugh is going to be on the other side, if that's going to pose a strategic advantage for the Bengals – I haven't heard anything from them that they actually thought that that was going to be the case. But uh, for a number of reasons, the fact that Hugh was not involved in the offensive play calling or the offensive scheme in any way, Todd Haley made sure of that, and that we've changed so much. I mean, he knows our personnel. He knows the players. He knows who we're going to be playing. Um, but I don't think any of that is not something that you could see on film. Like you, Hugh always says, we'll check the film. That's what he's going to have to do to be able to decide uh, whether or not uh, whether or not they can make an effective game plan. I I just don't think it's going to be a factor. I think that our team is better than the Bengals talent wise. I think now all of a sudden our coaching staff is better than the Bengals, um, and I think we'll be able to get motivated and get going for this game. They everyone's talking about the fact that they want to make a push for the playoffs this year. Every time someone a reporter asks about next year being a playoff viable team, they're like, watch out for us this year, which I love. So they're going to want to win this game. If we lose this game, then 
we're not going to have a chance to go to the playoffs. So I, th- I think that they're going to want it, and they're going to want it really bad, especially because it's you. Wait, I feel like we they have a chance rub to go to the playoffs. We have a mathematical chance to go to the playoffs. Even if we lose a game, we still have a mathematical chance to go to the playoffs. I'll take it. Yep. So I think that the players are going to be fired up. I think they're going to want to shove it in the face, and I think the Browns are going to win. By, I think the Browns are going to win. Yeah, not just lose by two. Yeah, Matthew, thanks for listening to the podcast when you weren't present last week because we talked about this for a little while. Oh, yeah. No, not a chance. Didn't listen at all. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. Edited, uh, edited that baby, sent it out. Also, also two podcasts ago, Bink. right before the Kansas City game, I was like, hey, you think there's a chance we fight for a playoff berth, a wild card spot? And you guys were like, you idiot. No. But now? I, 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 would, my I still think would you're still an idiot. It's not I a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fair. It's fair, but it's exciting to think about. You got you to gotta think positive. That's what the people want. Um, so there it is. We will be sure to let you know. Um, who was the winner of this week specifically? Because it was very contentious this week. Um, we thank you so much for listening. Um, our podcast is brought to you by Barbasol. Barbasol is the brand America has trusted for nearly 100 years to deliver a close, clean, comfortable shave. Um, they now have razors, not just shaving cream, but razors. If you visit Barbasol.com, you can order your shave kit today. Um, if you use discount code BROWNS, that's B-R-O-W-N-S, browns you can get two dollars off your initial shave kit order um that is a promo code that is only brought to you through this podcast um so go ahead and use that we also get money too just trying to be honest about the situation (laughs) we do too so so go ahead and do it um thanks so much for listening everybody we so appreciate you um hope you guys enjoyed listening to dane brugler um have a great thanksgiving um hope you guys enjoy all your turkey all your mashed potatoes um and be thankful i'm thankful for the browns in this podcast you guys have a good night go browns